Uh, we just really love Jesus around here. We want to be just like him. That's our whole vision is Jesus. And uh, Paul, the great apostle, says in Philipp, uh, Galatians 4.19 that his ambition as a spiritual father, as an apostle, is that Christ would be formed in every son and daughter of God, that Christ's life would be formed in us so that Christ's life and love would be expressed through us in his grace and by his spirit. And so that's what we're going after. We're just going after him. That's why we pray like we do. That's why we worship like we do. That's why we steep ourselves in the scriptures uh, because it's a combination of these things. It's why we do community groups. It's four or five or six of these things, 10 of these things added together, but they're all a means to the end of becoming like Jesus. And that's a worthy goal. If you agree, say amen to become like him. And so, Lord, as we open your word, uh, we're mindful today of how blessed we are. Um, Lord, as many of us know, there's places of the world that are literally on fire right now. We think of Israel, we think of Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip and, and other places in the world, Lord, that are, they don't need the theory of your peace, they need the manifestation of it. And so we just cry out in the name of Jesus uh, for ambassadors of reconciliation to be deployed all over the earth, instruments of righteousness, peacemakers, Lord, those who are willing to do hard things in hard places, who stand as an, an intercessor of the mediation of Christ and his kingdom come and his will being done. And God, we're just crying out that you would preserve life that you would come and, and breathe your peace and reign and rule and met out justice, Lord. Expose wickedness and agendas that are inspired by the father of lies who's a murderer from the beginning. God, we're asking for the inbreaking of your kingdom right now. And in a little way, in a little town on the coast of California, we cry out uh, as Isaiah 62 calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're crying out for peace to reign and to rule. We're asking for revival to break out, for the Messiah to be seen and to be loved and to be bowed before. We thank you that these aren't pie-in-the-sky prayers. This is where history is headed. And uh, we want to participate in prayer this morning. And so thank you, Lord, that we get to throw our intercession up into that Revelation 5, 8, and 9 bowl of incense, and you get to hurl those prayers forth onto the earth Revelation 8, 3, and 4 tells us that you take the prayers of the saints and you unfold your redemptive purposes on the earth in agreement with the cries of your people. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of prayer this morning. Thank you that we, we're not fatalists. We're not just those doomed to whatever fate is our way. But, Lord, you've interacted. You've so sovereignly chosen to interact with, their, with people and their responsiveness and their their humility, their repentance, and their agreement with you. Lord, thank you that you work with us, that you've called us to partner with you. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, your people would experience that great invitation this morning. We are invited to participate with God in his kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, my goodness. We get to play, folks. It's pretty awesome. Who's happy that you get to play? You get to participate in God's um, plan. And so, yeah, yesterday, just without making it a larger point of our service, we are, um, I was probably an hour or two just in a place of reflection, just in light of um, uh, what's happening in Israel. I'm just praying. I got 
lot of friends that are involved there and who are doing good gospel work and just contending for the uh, for Jesus to be seen and loved in that part of the world. And um, so just keep it in prayer. Amen. So the we're going to look at Micah four. Uh, these last several weeks, we've been talking about sort of our four pillars of becoming a dwelling place for God's presence. Number two, to, to disciple each other in community, that all the 49 plus one another statements are God's grow up strategy for the church, that when I'm one anothering one another, honoring you, loving you, serving you, putting your needs above my own, there's 49 of those statements in the New Testament, that when we do that, we are saying no to self-absorption, self-centeredness, and we're saying yes to Christ and his kingdom come. So dwelling place, discipleship, and then out of that environment, we want to be a church that helps people discover and develop their redemptive potential. Did you know God has a plan and a purpose for your life? Just show me your hands if you agree. We agree that each person on the planet has a vocation, a call from God to step into the grace that Christ, the ascended Lord in Ephesians 4, poured out on men and women. That when he stripped the principalities and powers, he took back the vocation of humanity to serve as image bearers, those who are working with God in whatever city situation we find ourselves in to build towards that new Jerusalem, that reality where the city that we are uh, going to inhabit one day, the city whose builder and architect is God. We get to participate in that project now. Amen? Like everything we do, Galatians 6, 7 through 10, when we sow to the Spirit, At the end of the age, when Christ comes, he doesn't wipe away the good things we've done in this age in the spirit. No, he carries them forward to completion. That's amazing. Come on. That's not, that that part gets through to the age to come because it's gonna come through the fire of his judgment, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 11 through 16, that every man and woman's work is gonna be refined by fire. He does that because he wants the purity of whatever we're doing in this age to shine and shimmer in the age to come and to be brought to completion. So why we, out of dwelling place and discipleship, we wanna be a discovery and development house is because when we tap into that, what Frederick Frederick Buechner calls your vocation, it's the place where the world's deep uh, pain and need meets your your own heart cry, that thing that makes you happy, sad, mad, or glad. That's the, that, at that intersection of that, that's the call of God in our life. And every person has a calling um, and a vocation to inhabit and to express God's will and purpose. And then the last D is we want to be a, a place that deploys people for mission. How many believe that uh, Luke 19, verse 10, that the Son of God is an insatiable seeker to seek and save those that are lost? Christ has a mission, and we get to participate in that mission. That even as the Father sent his Son, why? Because he, John 3, 16, come on, somebody. He sent his Son because he loved the world, so the Father and Son in the Holy Spirit send the church into the world to participate in the mission of Jesus. So dwelling place, that's why we build an altar to his presence. That's where we're becoming a people of prayer, of worship in his word. Discipleship becoming like Jesus through the practices and the rhythms and routines of grace, discovery and development, because there's a nuance to your call and to mine. And in that place, you and I will be uniquely empowered to express a a, a glimmer of the 1 Peter 4.10 multifaceted grace of God. You have a grace on your life, and that grace is multifaceted, Peter tells us. And that grace is manifest through your life in the uniqueness of who God's made you to be. 
in your unique special DNA. And then lastly, we are deployed for mission. That our, our nine to five, our workplace, our world, our neighborhoods, our relational networks are the place that God wants to work out what it means for you and me to be instruments of his righteousness, ambassadors of his reconciliation, witnesses of his resurrection. That's how we participate in the mission of God. Well, there happens to be a passage in the Bible that has all four of those values. One passage has all four of them. And this is, I've been sitting on this for years. I've tweaked this document, this talk, that in one passage, you see dwelling place, discipleship and formation, discovery and develop of each person, and deployment for mission in one passage. And it's in Micah chapter four. I love it when God's like, hey, I literally, when he does that to me, I, I, I view it as the Lord giving me a blueprint. And as sort of a, a, a pastor, a leader, a father, that blueprint gives, the, it gives us a lot of latitude to stretch, to inhabit, and to grow. I love when the Lord gives us blueprints. And um, there's several other passages he's done that through the years that you've heard me speak. But uh, this, is a, this is definitely a passage that has eschatological implications. Eschatology is the study of the last things, the end times. And I want you to know, just biblically speaking, the last days began when the, the new dawn of resurrection happened in Jesus, that Jesus disrupted the present evil age when he bore our sins in the body. He destroyed the works of the devil. He fulfilled all righteousness. When he was buried, he preached the good news even to those in Hades. And when the Father raised him up and that, that sealed garden tomb was burst open by the angelic hosts, when Christ emerged, the new creation and our future broke into the present age. So the last days have been since Christ was raised from the dead. Are you tracking with me? So we, how, how long have we been in the last days? At least 2,000 plus years. But how many of you know, Romans chapter 13, 8 through 12, we're closer now to the end than they were 2,000 years ago. So even though it's like, when's the actual end, end, end of the end of the age? Like, it's getting closer. Turn to your neighbor, wake, like elbow him. It's getting closer. Uh, so I'm not here to predict when that day is. It seems like many of the Matthew 24, the signs we read in Daniel, et cetera, other places in the scripture, that many things are ratcheting up. I just know that what, what the picture God paints of the end, this is the thesis of the talk, a vision of the end is meant to instruct, inform, and infuse our current. So say future and then say current to our current priorities, practices, passions, and pursuits together. So whatever is coming, the church has an invitation not to just welcome God's distant future and say, oh, that'll be neat when that all gets worked out. No, our future is meant to totally ravish and transform how we live in the present. Say that with me. Our future is meant to inform how we currently live. So that's why it matters when we read passages that have eschatological end time implications. They're not just to like warn us and cause us to be sober, although they are. They're actually an invitation to live a certain way in the present. So this passage is one of those passages. What I'm about to read is actually going to be expressed on the earth. When you hear it read, you're going to be like, dude, that's a long way off. And be that as it may, we're meant to aim at its 
ever-increasing manifestation and expression in the present until it becomes an, a full-on reality over all the earth. Are you tracking with me? This is so good. This is the first slide. We've got 30. All right, let's get to the Word of God. Oh, the Lord loves us. He loves us. He loves me. He loves you. He loves us. In the last days, this is the New Living Translation. I am all for NASB and RSV, all the big, big dog translations that are a little more accurate. But the way this describes, it is faithful to the text. If you're wondering, what version is he reading? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. Read it with me. The most important place on earth. I'll take it up. It will be raised above all the other hills, and the people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching, read it with me, will go out from Zion, and his word will go out from Jerusalem. I'll pick it up. The Lord will mediate between peoples and will settle disputes between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now you know this is a future reality. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live, say it with me, in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees, for there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise. Though the nations around us follow their idols, pick it up with me, we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather those who are lame. Come on. Those who've been exiles, those whom I've filled with grief, those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. Read it with me. Then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. So, again, if you're like Chad, too much in this passage is future tense. It has nothing to do with our present. Wrong. A faithful vision of the end is meant to be what we're going after currently in the present. In the last days, so my, my first encouragement from this text is you have to know the story of God. I'll never forget in my master's degree, first of all, I've been a person of the word since I was 16. I know it relatively well. That's not boasting. That's just a true statement. I've been a student of the word. But when someone, one of my favorite professors, uh, well, there, there goes his name out of my head, Dr. Daniels, Dr. Scott Daniels, there you go, got it. Uh, when he stood up and said, hey, I'm going to tell you the story of God on a whiteboard. And again, I've known the story my whole life. But when he, when, and then many have done it. N.T. Wright has four parts. Others have six parts, five parts. This is, this will do. But when we know the story of God's good creation, the fall, the calling of Israel, Jesus coming to embody and fulfill the prophecies and promises that now the kingdom people of God of both Jew and Gentile have a kingdom mission and consummation that we are in an epic story. When we know this story, A, it'll help us understand what days we're in. B, it'll help you to read your Bible better. Where am I at on the, in the spectrum here? Um, but C, it also anchors us, and we won't be swayed by other counter-narratives that are vying for our affection, attention, 
and our ultimate allegiance. How many know we are swarmed by other stories than the true story revealed in Scripture? So we got to know the story. I'm going to have to move forward. But so he starts within the last days. So Micah locates what he's about to prophesy within the story of God. And what I want to declare to you is these are the days to get steeped in the story. Amen? Because it says in 2, 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the last days, a bunch of people, it's already kind of happening because we're in the last days for like 2,000 years. People will gather a bunch of teachers around them and say, stop confronting us with Isaiah 30, with the truth of God's covenant law and God's, God's word. Tell us pleasing things that tickle our ears. Stop bothering us with the truth. How many think we're in that day? We're in that day. Okay, every hand raised. And so we have to, I love this, in the last days, Mike is saying, what I'm about to declare is not some word spoken in obscurity. It's a word spoken to a people who are to inhabit a certain kind of story, the true story revealed in the Scripture. And he says, in this story, there's going to be a place, I love how the New Living put it, the most important place on the earth. I love that. And what is the most important place on the earth? He says, on this mountain, the Lord's whole house is going to reside, but we know on that mountain is the Isaiah 56, the house of what? Prayer for all nations. In other words, the most important place for the people of God in the last days, now and as it ratchets up even further, is going to be the place they know they can meet with God and receive the power and the provision of his spirit that they're going to need to walk through the complexities of the darkness of our day. Did you know we're going to need God to overcome the spirit of the age and, and what we're in and walking into as a nation and as the people of God? Just nod your head at me if you think you're going to need God's presence. And here's what's amazing about that. On that mountain, there's a house. And Jesus, in all of the Gospels, has made it very, very clear how his house is supposed to function. It's for everybody. And specifically, it's a house of prayer where there's an interaction with his presence. There's the mediation of his word where people are able to offload their sin and receive forgiveness. They're able to lay down their burden and receive his provision. They're able to confess their neediness and receive God's empowerment. That on this mountain, there's a house, and it's a house of prayer for all nations. And I love how the New Living put it. In that day, it's going to be the most important place on the earth. And I want to encourage you, the reason, among many reasons, one of the principal reasons that all of the disciples scattered at Jesus' first coming when he was going to the crucifixion is because they all fell asleep in prayer. Bah. Yeah. Remember? I'm tired. He's like, so am I. I'm about to become sin for the world. Could you just watch with me for an hour? So listen, it ain't, it ain't time to sleep through prayer time. It's time to wake up, Amen. So shake yourself from your slumber. There's a, there is a shaking of ourself. It's in Isaiah 52. It's not works righteousness, but there is a sh shake yourself, free yourself from your fetters, the prophet says in Isaiah 52, because the king is coming. It's time. We're not living in any old time. We're in the last days, and there's a place that's the most important place on the earth, and in that place is the man, Christ Jesus, who has all wisdom, all rule, all authority, all power, that the government of God's on his beautiful, all-sufficient soldier, so, soldier, shoulders. 
So it's the most important place, and it's a house of prayer. So come to the altar. There you go. There's the plug, okay? Worship and prayer. The mountain of the Lord's house will be the most important place on the earth. Why? Because you and I become what we behold. Say it with me. I become what I behold. If all I do is watch news feed, 24-cycle news, you will be an anxious mug and grouchy. And mentally, it's, I'm dead serious. I, I, I make no, we're not making light of that. It's a real thing. People are wondering, why am I always anxious among all the other things in life? Well, what are you ingesting? What are you beholding? You're probably going to become like that. Thumbs up. Does that make sense? It's not a theory. It's actually true. So if all I'm doing is scrolling and my face is constantly a reflection of a screen that's feeding me narratives and fear and worry and anxiety and how everything's that reality that you're viewing on the outside will become your inner reality. So I love, why is the mountain of the Lord? What do we do at the altar? What do we do in worship and prayer? We're gazing at the the man, Christ Jesus, the I am, the beautiful man, the king, the Lord, the master. Come on, the alpha and the omega, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith's journey. So when I'm locking eyes with him, Colossians 2.17 tells me that Christ is the ultimate reality. Are you tracking with me? You and I are gonna need this to be constantly a rhythm in our life because we're bombarded to look and long for other things, but the church is like, no, the thing that makes the house so amazing is that he's in the house. And we're locking eyes with him. We're locking eyes with his presence, with his word. We're, we're steeping ourselves in, in the story of God. And I love that, what was our first value again? Dwelling place. He wants to make us that dwelling. He wants us to be a church and a people that an anxiety-filled, worried, depressed, scared, insecure, sin-sick world has a place to come, and it's not a mistake if you come through these doors, the person we're all looking at. Jesus, all for him. We worship him, we pray to him, we study his word so that we can become through beholding the brilliance of the Lord. And Jesus in Hebrews 1, 3 through 4 I'm sorry, two through four. It says that he is the radiance of God's glory. What do you think of when you think of radiance? Okay, just shining. He's emanating his presence. So what we want to do as a church and while we're building altars of worship with the word of prayer, we want to get better at locking eyes with Jesus. Did you know that you can actually get better at it? You can. Instead of looking Elsewhere, I can learn to look to him. The whole earth will be the Lord's mountain home, which is, this is a commentator smarter than me. Why it speaks of the Lord's house, not just his temple. A temple is just a place for worship, but a house is where the Lord has come to live. Say live among his people. Like I've been saying for like four weeks in a row, he doesn't want to be just a part of your spiritual life. He wants your whole life. Amen? Spirit, soul, mind, and body, time, treasure, talent, recreation, all of, he wants, if he's Lord of all, he wants in on all. I'll say that again. If he's Lord of all, which is the confession of the church, Jesus is Lord. If he's Lord of all, he wants in on all. And if the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is living as if all of life matters and God wants in on all of life. It's all unto him, for him, through him, because of him. And this is what God wants to do in this day. And what is the result of his house being established as the the value of his house being the ultimate value of the people of God? 
what happens? Remember the language? The nations will stream. Now, riddle me this, geography people. Do rivers flow up mountains? So what is the, what is the prophet doing? If you'll, say, if you'll agree with what I say about my house, being a house of prayer for all nations, the most important place in your life is the place of dwelling and beholding and gazing and ministering to me with prayer and petition and being in my presence. If you'll agree with what I say is the predominant desire of my heart, which is to dwell among a people, what I'll do is I'll start supernatural drawing nations to my house. Do you see that? Come on. It's a river. The vision that the prophet sees is a river going upstream, which is to say it's a supernatural thing that's happening. Come on, how many want to see a supernatural draw of God to his house in our city? On your campus, we have some poly students. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your world, God is saying that the presence of God has always been and forever will be the best thing the church has to offer the world. We can't compete with Netflix and Disney. I don't even want to. All my prayer walk yesterday, I'm like walking a couple mile, mile and a half, whatever. I'm just like, God, I don't want to do, I don't want to build anything else but a dwelling for you. And whatever that eventually looks like as it pertains to scope or size, I'll let you take care of it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be one who locks in. If we'll get the first thing right dwelling place, then I believe the stream will flow up mountains. I believe God is the best at drawing people to his son. Obviously, he works through his people. We'll get there. But it's the principle. Are you tracking with me? On that mountain, the Lord is going to say, this is my, my residency, my dwelling, and it's going to be a house of prayer and my presence, and I will supernaturally draw nations to myself. Oh, come on, somebody. And here's what I love. Out of his presence, what does it say? The nations are going to say, back to Micah chapter, chapter 4, 3 and 4, hey, let's go up and learn the ways of God, the God of Jacob. So in his presence, we're not just like doing nothing. We're ministering, we're learning, but then he's teaching us. I want you to know, when you're taught by the presence of God, it says in 1 John 2, 20 through 27, that you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not teach you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So the spirit he put inside every single believer is our best teacher. Are you tracking with me? Does that mean we don't need teachers and people to unfold the word? Of course we do. But the thing is, you and I have a trump card for the formation of Christ, and it's called the Holy Spirit, the teacher. The one who wants to constantly be teaching us, poking us, prodding us, uh, correcting us. Now nah, it's out of step with Christ and his word. Ah, ah, ah. And if we'll learn to give way to the prodding and poking and leadership of the Holy Spirit, it won't lead to a life of grimace and growl. It'll lead to a life of fullness and flourishing. Because the Spirit has an agenda. It's to form Jesus in you. Come on. And Jesus, the last I checked, was anointed with the oil of joy. Jesus was the one irresistible to sinners. Jesus is the one who is the most unbelievable man, unbelievable person in history. That's the Spirit. He wants to teach us. So on that mountain, there's teaching, there's training, there's discipling. I think that's core value number two, discipleship and community. It's in the same passage, folks. Come on, somebody. He will teach us his ways. Why? And we will walk in his path. Learning for the sake of living. Say that last one with me. Learning for the sake of living. 
One more time, because it's a big deal. Learning for the sake of living. Oh, my goodness. Who knows more than what they currently are living? Every hand raised in the house. I know way more than what I'm currently living. That's why we need each other. It's not just, are you mastering the content? It's, is the teachings, are the teachings of Jesus actually being embodied and obeyed in your life? How many know there's a gargantuan difference? The devil knows. It's so funny. If you read the Gospels, if you've been doing our Bible reading plan, you know who's never uncertain about the identity of Jesus, contrary to all of his disciples and all of his constituency? The demons. They're all like, Jesus the Messiah, have you come to destroy us and judge us? They, they all know who God is. All the disciples are like, I think he's, he's got power. I mean, winds and waves obey him, but we're not sure on his identity. But I'm telling you, it's not enough to know you got to live. Are you tracking with me? The demons say they tremble, James chapter 2. We can, they even know that there's one God, but the difference between the devil and all of his demons is they can never obey the word of God. That's what separates us. So it's a teaching so that we'll walk. It's a learning so that we'll live it. So what if every time we gather in community, it's not just, hey, what are you reading? What are you journaling? What are you, what, what, what? no, it's how is what you are learning starting to influence and infuse your actual life? Are you tracking with me? And if that's the litmus test, how many are thankful that we have access to that house called his presence and prayer, that in that house there's grace and mercy to help us in our time of need? Someone say amen. Because I don't always live it, but I want to in increasing measure. How about you? And so when we come to each other, we come with grace, with mercy, with truth. Hey, let's get at it again. All right. Are we good? We're happy? Teach, this is real knowledge, a grasp of truth. Again, a commentator said this, issuing in a changed life, the head warming the heart and redirecting the feet. I love that. He quotes the Emmaus Road. Remember when their, their hearts are on fire. So it's when the heart, the head, we're learning, changes the heart, which redirects the feet. Head, heart, hand. Say it with me. Head, heart, hand. Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. That's the kind of teaching that he wants to be flowing from his house. Are you tracking with me? I feel this. I don't know how to do this, like on a pulpit pew setting, but all I care about is are we living it? I don't care how much you know. I don't care if, you, if you're the smartest or you're brand new to the faith. It's the little that you do know, what's it doing to you? Oh, I like that. What's it doing? Second, thirdly, the mission, mission and development. We'll get to, so it's out of order. Gosh, the Bible's out of order. But um, kidding, that's a joke, people. The Bible's perfect. Um, but what's next? Our core value, number four, but it's number three in the passage. That from Zion, the teaching of the Lord will go out. The mission of God. Those who've been spending time in the presence, who being trained and formed by its teaching, what is it? Now the word's going out from that mountain. You see it? You see the picture of this passage? And one, one commentator says this, the evidence of genuine faith is seeking to draw in as many others to that faith as possible. How many need to grow in that? I do. I, like 10X, need, I want to grow in that. But I love that we have presence, formation, we have discipleship, now we have mission, that the law goes out from this house. And then what, is it, what does that do? It's the ministry of reconciliation. There's a mediation between nations. They're no longer trained for war. These are just a few things that Jesus calls us in his word, that we are ambassadors of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5. 
We are instruments of righteousness in Romans 6, 11 through 13. We are called blessed if we're peacemakers, like it says in Matthew chapter 5, 8 through 10. We are called to turn the other cheek, to forgive, to go the extra mile, to leave our gift in the front of the altar. And so one of the evidences of God's people learning God's ways is we're committed to these things. I want you to know those things are not fun. How many want to be an instrument to God can wield this week to make something wrong right? I do too, but it's not like it's, oh, this is going to be fun. There's going to be a collision. Amen? Like when you pour water into a thing, like whatever's in that container, stuff's got to get out. But the fact is God has called us to step into those spaces and places and to mediate his reconciling power and presence. He's called us to become those instruments that he can wield for his righteous purposes. He's called us to step into the messiness of, uh, obviously, we're, we're talking literal war in this passage as well, but also just the messiness of relationship. How many right now could take a tiny, minutious step to be a reconciler to someone you're estranged with right now, where there's, there's friction on the line? God, part of, part of the maturity of the church is we're going to become those that, that live this. And how, how messy it is, how complicated, how hard but how many know the Holy Spirit will empower us to do hard things? He's really good at it. He's decently good at it, empowering us. And so we see part of the, the reflection that we're learning his ways is instead of retaliating, we're reconciling. Instead of running away, amen, we're standing in covenant love. We're playing that long game with God. So again, this is all found in Micah 4, that they're, they're going to literally, what, the vision, this is definitely future, <laughs> But we're praying for it now in increasing measure, amen? But that, remember that vision on that mountain that nations are beating their weapons of war and they're turning them into weapons of agriculture. So whereas these weapons used to be used to take life, they're becoming instruments now to generate life. Oh, it's good. I love the prophets, man. They're able to like give us a vision through metaphor and picture. Are you seeing that? That's the future. That's where we're headed. But Chad, that's pie in the sky. It may feel pie in the sky if all you're working with is human resources and human reasoning and knowledge. But if you have the mind of Jesus, we're playing the long game and we're aiming at it. Are you tracking with me? This is where it's headed. So we want to head there too by the grace of God. Okay, now this was our value number three, but in the passage it's number four. Remember that passage that says, every person is sitting under their own vine and fig tree. Did you know God wants each of us in this room to be able to be alive and aware of what our vocation is, what our calling is? He wants every person, no matter their current state, to be raised up to be able to contribute in their family, amongst their friends, in their workplace, and in their world. How many believe that's for every person? We are, listen, work and vocation and calling were not a result of Adam and Eve sinning. God gave us work to do before the fall. Amen. So God, I love this vision of everyone sitting under their own vine. Part of what we want to do as a church and as a people is to be able to help people discern the vine they're meant to cultivate. Amen? The fig tree, the tree they're meant to plant, the seeds they're meant to plant. And then in that, God would provide peace and blessing and abundance. The vine and the fig tree are a picture of proverbial security, prosperity, and contentment when God's peaceable kingdom reigns and rules. 
But I'm, not, I'm saying, you're saying, Chad, but that's future. You're right. We're to live in light of the future. Did you know, like, if you, if you, hang, out with, like, if you hang out with a friend that's, that's in, a, in a low place, they're not able to contribute, that, that, you know why they feel low among maybe 50 other reasons? Because they were made to. Amen? You were made to be powerful. You were made to matter. You were made to participate in something bigger than yourself. If you agree, say amen. Every human was made for that. And so we want to be a people, according to Micah 4, that help others learn how to plant that tree, that seed, and to cultivate that vine so that there's fullness and abundance. When will this be fulfilled? Uh, you know, I read every, uh, many, many things about this passage when will it be fulfilled? In fullness when Jesus comes to reign and rule. Amen. Until then, we're aiming at it with all of our hearts. How does the passage end? The nations will follow their gods. But what, is, what does the prophet say? But we will follow the Lord. Walking in the name of the Lord can be translated to be loyal, to live by, or to follow, to live in conformity to the will and character, or give allegiance to him. How many believe, however messy, however sticky, you and I can choose to walk in the name of the Lord. We can choose to love his ways, to walk in his path, no matter what comes against us. That's how the passage ends. The church's future is secure. The only question is whether you will choose to be a part of that future through present obedience to the Lord of the church. These momentous future events, this amazing end-time picture, are to provide an incentive for holy, faithful, fruitful service in the present. And just to make the theological argument seal a little deeper, the spirit throughout the, throughout the word is called the down payment or the deposit or the seal. And literally in the Greek, if you study the seal, deposit, down payment, it's where we get the idea of an engagement ring. In other words, when God put the Holy Spirit in you, he put your future in you. Oh. So you're like, Chad, this passage is too much future tense. It has nothing to do with today. Bull, the very spirit you have in you is the spirit from the age to come. It's this Holy Spirit. And we, we got a deposit. We got a measure of our future. But you know what the Spirit does? It's not saying, just cool out, chill out, let God met it all out and take care of it. You live for yourself until, you know, God. No. The Spirit's like, no, I want the future to increasingly break in and to be established in the present. And I'm under no pie-in-the-sky illusion that that's going to happen overnight because every parable of the kingdom is like a seed. <laughs> all of them. Like eight of them. A seed that looks small, insignificant, but over time becomes a tree. Amen? But the Spirit is this, like the Spirit of the age to come is inside of us. That's why the future in this passage in Micah 4, I believe it's good enough to be our play, our church's down blueprint, to build a dwelling place, to be discipled in community, to learn the ways of Yahweh, to let his word shape and form and, and source our life, to give ourselves to be ambassadors, instruments, and witnesses of his peace and of his presence, to contend that each one in this house and in this city and in wherever influence we have would learn how to build a vine, plant seeds, and live under a tree where they're flourishing because they're connected to the source and they, they're understanding the grace that God has deposited for their life. And then from the mountain, from the house, the law of God's going forth out into the earth. 
We want to participate in the mission of Christ. Do you see how all four are there? Did I do an okay job explaining how our four values are in one chunk of Scripture? This is what we're going after. How do I respond? Well, which one's, which one's poking you the most this morning? The dwelling place? The discipleship, the joining community, the following and obeying his word and being formed as you learn to one another, one another? How about the, the vine or the fig tree or that, that vision of, of flourishing under your vine? And you're like, Chad, I'm, I'm not flourishing. I need God to breathe. My, you're, you're grinding, but you say, Holy Spirit, give me a new vision for, for my work, for what you're calling me into. Or is it the law going out from the mountain into the earth, participating in the mission of Christ? Maybe you're like, God, I do not live with an ounce of awareness that you actually want to use me to partner with you in your purposes. How many know we can grow in all four for the rest of our life, but this morning, what's the Spirit saying? What's he doing on the inside of you? I'll save that for next week. I don't need that one. That's really good. There's a couple more, but it's good. It's good. So, Father, I just thank you. I'm going to read it because it's so good. Uh, we're done. This is it. Okay, get over yourself. Why I love it is because all of this is what do we do in the midst of the waiting? I bolded it for you, and I bullet pointed it for you in the next slide, so don't trip. What do I do? If this is a future passage, but it's supposed to change how I live in the present, what do I do in the in, the in between? This is as good as any passage I can find in the Bible that, like, gives us plenty to be after. Trust in the Lord and do good. You will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret it. It leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Come on. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. How many think that's good enough? I'll take it. What do we do in the meantime? Trust and do good. Take delight. Commit. Be still. Wait patient. Refrain. Do not fret. All of these speak of what we're to give ourselves to in the waiting between now and when he comes. But the waiting isn't wasted. There's plenty to give ourselves to. If you agree, say amen. And it's actually in the waiting that we're being formed into the kind of people who will be fit to receive the promise of what's coming in our eternal inheritance. As uh, one theologian put it this way, eternity is currently in session. It's currently in session. You're in, like, you're in. If you're in Christ, you're like, you're in, in. You're being trained forever now. Praise God, John 11, 24 and 5. He is the resurrection and life. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to your body. Oh, just let him talk to you. Just spend a minute just in quiet. Dwelling place, discipleship, discovery and development, vocation, deployed for mission. 
God, I just thank you for taking us closer to your heart this morning. Thank you for feeding us with your word this morning. Maybe just say, Holy Spirit, what do you have specifically for me to step into or receive and walk out this week? And maybe grab your smartphone, just write it, whatever impression, whatever little prompting. Everyone got something? If you got something, can you stand on your feet? And we'll, uh, we'll just do a little benediction here. And uh, I love how it ends in verse 6 and 7. I will gather the lame, and I will make the lame my remnant. How many are thankful for that little promise? How many have ever felt lame, broken by life or sin? But he's actually gathering those of us like that to be a part of this epic unfolding plan. How many are pumped about that this morning? The lame, those that are throwaways that the world says washed up and done. He's like, no, those are the very ones I'm going to use for this to become an increasing reality on the earth. So, Lord, right now, would you just empower us as your people to live this stuff out? Lord, I thank you for connecting. I thank you that you place the lonely in families. I thank you right now, God, for those who feel far from you, that the Bible says that you've come all the way to us, the sending of your son, not to condemn us, but to love us and heal us and save and rescue us from our sin. God, for those who need a deliverer, thank you for being the perfect one this morning. For those who need encouragement, thank you that you are the best encourager. It's like what the Holy Spirit, is his purpose is to comfort, to encourage, and empower. God, for those who are wondering, Chad, I don't know what vine I'm supposed to be cultivating, what fig tree, I'm, what seeds I'm supposed to plant. I thank you. We're supposed to be a church that helps each other discern that stuff. So, Father, I pray for a spirit of discernment and discovery. And then, Lord, we cry out that you would deploy us in the power of the Spirit to participate in your kingdom mission this week. God, give us eyes to see others the way you see them. And, Lord, how you see us. We want to live out of our true identity in Jesus. We all said amen.